Good morning, everybody. I'm glad to see you found a seat this morning. You look wonderful. Once you look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good. I'm glad you're sitting next to me. Amen. Amen. So let me, let me, before we get into the message this morning, let me share just a couple of things uh, with you, if you don't mind. One, uh, Mitch, I think I got a couple of pictures if you want to put those up for me. So a, a couple of weeks ago, you see the pictures of those guys? There we are. So a, a few weeks back, we were talking about missions that we're involved in, and obviously we're involved in, in missions in Uganda and South Sudan here, among other places. And we talked about sponsoring this, uh, this church planter, James Lapoto, who is, who's, uh, he has to travel 10 hours himself on foot to go to the church where he's planted there. And then the guys that we're in contact with, this is not James, this is the, no, 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 go back. This guy's not James, but he's the guy that is taking the bike to James. So we purchased this motorcycle for James because it's a 10-hour walk on foot to get to the church that he's planting. And so you guys, we're all a part of that. We want to thank you for that. <clears throat> and the, the next thing that I want to share is I think here in a, in a week or so, uh, Alan Bray and, and maybe Debbie, I think, maybe is going with him. Uh, they're going to be going back to Uganda. And one of the things that they do, these are, these are some, some church planters and pastors in the past. You know, they're, they're out in the bush planting these churches uh, in, di in different areas. And so they, they need transportation because they're rough roads. And so they buy them bicycles. And these bicycles, I think, are $110 a piece. Now, if you would uh, like to purchase a bicycle or go in on half a bike or something like that, Alan's going to be hanging out uh, back here at the welcome desk after service, and you can get up with him if that's something that you might be interested in. But we appreciate you guys for uh, being involved in that and helping us with that. So that's a, that's a good work. Amen. Amen. Now, let me, now let me share one other thing. As you can see, it's a little bit crowded in here this morning. Praise God. Amen. Right? I like it when it's crowded. But here, here's what I want to say. We, uh, we, we believe that, that it was a good idea for us earlier in the year based on the fact that every time we met with one service, it was about like this or more. And, and so we were at the point of capacity in this building. Now, uh, one of our things back when we did what was called the Awaken Hope campaign, uh, a few years ago we started it. And a big part of that was we were going to roof the building over there. We we're going to paint it, make it all look uniform, make it look a little bit nicer, and then renovate some of that building over there as it was pretty old and outdated and needed some work done. So we did a lot of that. Now, we, we, we had a couple of different phases included in that. And whether you remember it or not, the third phase of that was to try to blacktop as much of the parking lot as we could, which blacktop's expensive, y'all, so we kind of went halfway, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. And then, and then uh, also, the other thing that we wanted to do that we thought about doing was possibly renovating the gym and the cafeteria over here into a new sanctuary because it would provide more space for us. Now, two services is a good option. It's not a bad option, but, but what we've come to find, and this is kind of what we prefer and what we're praying into, we just feel like with, with, with a rural community like we are, things are just better when we're together. That's just how we kind of feel. So what we're looking into right now is we're just seriously praying. Like I said, it's not that we, we, may, we may actually have to go back to two services once again. And I know we flip-flopped a lot. Somebody said, well, Clay, uh, we, we, it just seems like you don't know what you're doing. Guess what? I don't. So we're, we're kind of figuring this out as we go. I don't know that much. I'm not that smart of a guy. You know what I'm saying? Like I know a little bit of Bible and I preach it to you on Sundays. Just pray for me. Uh, but, but we're figuring things out as we go. 
and we're and, and you can't learn unless you try some things. So we're open, we're adaptable, but we are currently praying about whether or not it is, it is a good idea for us as a church to renovate that gym and that, that cafeteria over there because in here you can fit about 360 seats. Over there you could easily fit five to 600 without batting an eye. And so that would give us more space to grow without having to go to two services. And so that's something that we're considering because we like being together. And, uh, and we like when we have baptisms and baby dedications for everybody to be in the room. You know what I'm saying? And we like to see one another. So, so that's something that, we're, and, and that's all I would ask is that you would just be, make that a matter of prayer with me so that we can make the best decision moving forward. Now, if we do that, it may take some time and we're not sure. One of the reasons we went back to one service right now is because that was actually off the table before because we didn't have parking to sustain that kind of number. If you go out here today, probably if you looked around, you would see, man, there's people parked everywhere. But since Fred Jackson has developed this land over here, we're looking at the possibility of having some more spots available, which then enables us to be able to do that once again. So that's what we're looking into, we're praying about, and you guys can pray with me. Amen? Good deal? All right, praise God. So let's move into the Word this morning. I'm in a sermon series called Enjoying God. And, uh, you know, I, we, we, we talked about this a little bit, and we've talked about going and taking 30-minute walks with God. I've heard people tell me, you know, they went and took, took a few walks with the Lord this week, which is a good thing, to be with Him and just to learn to enjoy the presence of God in our lives. And this message this morning, I want to call specifically the choice to rejoice, the choice to rejoice. And so here's the thing, if we read, and I'm going to turn to Philippians 4 here in a minute, but Paul actually gives us a secret to the Christian life about getting through this Christian life, and that's what I want to unpack this morning, because here's what we've established, even over the last few weeks, we've established that if you're going to be in this world, you're going to experience some suffering, you're going to experience some sin, you're going to experience some brokenness, some loss, some pain, you're not going to make it off the planet without having gone through some hard times and some difficulties, and some doubts, and some fears, and, and a lot of losses. And there's a lot of these different things. Just because you become a Christian, that doesn't somehow make you immune to the effects of sin and pain and suffering in this world. You're still going to go through a lot of difficult things. And, and, and even if you read everybody throughout Scripture, there's nobody who turned their life over to Jesus and then things went well for them. As a matter of fact, every one of them that were in the New Testament, they gave their lives to Jesus and things went very poorly for them circumstantially in this world. Many of them lost their lives, gave their lives, watched their family give their lives for Jesus Christ. And so just because we become Christians does not mean that God is going to make everything circumstantially perfect for us but see what Paul teaches us what we're about to get into is that regardless of the circumstances in your life or regardless of the difficulties that you're going through number one God is sovereign and there is nothing that we do go through no matter how painful no matter how difficult that ultimately he will not work in some way for your good and for his glory and number two, what he does is he gives us the Spirit as a down payment into our hearts by which we can learn to rejoice in the middle of hard and challenging circumstances. And we can always choose and we always have the choice to rejoice in the Lord no matter what we're currently going through. And so this is what Paul's going to unpack. So let's turn to Philippians 4 and I'm going to read a few verses just to give you some context. Verse 2, uh, beginning at verse 2 through 7. It says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche. If anybody's got kids coming up, once again, I'm telling you, the names in the Bible are the bomb. Uh, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche 
to agree in the Lord. You boys got a disagreement? Come together on this. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now let me go back to the two verses that I'm going to focus on, verse 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here. And God, that you've already spoken to us. And, and Lord, you've already invited us, Lord, to come and give you our burdens and, 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 and carry the load, God, off of our backs, Lord Jesus. And so we come to you this morning and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would meet every person where they are at. Remind them, God, of your love and your goodness, Lord, toward them. And I pray that, God, by the power of the Spirit, we'd have an understanding of your word this morning like we've never had before and that we could learn what this truly means to live from a mindset and live in a lifestyle of rejoicing in you, God, because of who you are and what your promises give us each and every day. So we trust you for it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what Paul says is he says that our rejoicing should be continuous and our rejoicing is in the Lord specifically. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you know, there are certain times in life based on circumstances that it's appropriate to rejoice, and there are certain times in life that it's inappropriate to rejoice. Have you ever seen anybody rejoice when like something has went terrible? Like, wouldn't it be weird if something terrible happened in your life and the person across the table from you is like, hallelujah? It would be weird, wouldn't it? So I'm thinking, Paul, I don't know about this. You're talking about rejoicing the Lord always? Like if something goes terribly wrong, it may be inappropriate to rejoice at certain circumstances. That may be a little bit weird. But see, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying rejoice in every circumstance. He said rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of your circumstances. So he's saying that you're going to go through difficulties, you're going to go through hardships, but ultimately there's a, there's a mindset and there's a lifestyle that we can learn to live from from that no matter what we are dealing with and what we're going through because God is who God is always and forever and his promises are always true and he's always faithful and he's good no matter what is happening we can set our hearts on the Lord and know you know what even when things are falling apart I've got God and he's good and he's faithful and I can rejoice in him because I know he's working things out I know he's got my back and so you develop a lifestyle, you develop a mindset in the midst of difficult circumstances that brings you through. And Paul ends up saying it again because there's one thing that he says, he repeats. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now he doesn't say in the Lord again. The only thing that he emphasizes right there, once again, is rejoice. Because he's trying to get it in the heart of believers that this needs to be a dominant lifestyle and mindset that you have adopted. That rejoicing is an attitude of the heart. That it's something that you don't get away from. And then he says, and again I will say, and if you read it in the Greek, basically what he's saying, future tense, if you come back to me with more, with more bad things that have just happened, I'm going to say the same thing again. 
And if you say, but Paul, guess what just happened? And it blew up and everything fell apart. He said, you know what? Again, I'm going to say it again. Like, I'm going to continue to say this no matter what circumstances you bring to me. Isn't that interesting? And so he's unpacking that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is, this is interesting because even in this letter to the Philippians, he lists numerous obstacles to joy. Y'all ever had any obstacles to joy? How about the, even this week, if you look back at your week, you'd be like, man, did I, have, did I have any obstacles to joy? Even in this letter alone, like he lists certain things that are obstacles to joy. He said just in, the, just in verse 2, right before he mentioned this, he said there were two guys in disagreement in the church. Can you imagine that? Now, I've never been a part of a church where there's any disagreement. <laughs> Amen, right? Now, matter of fact, every church usually is known for disagreement. Thank God that, you know, I mean, praise the Lord, help us, God, to usually do our best to stay in agreement. That's just a part of it. There's internal conflict in the church. But then he goes on in, in chapter 1, he says, you've got opponents and adversaries outside. And he said, but when you're not frightened by them because they literally want to kill you, he said, it's proof of your salvation and proof of their ultimate destruction. He said, when you got people trying to kill you and you're just rejoicing because you know that death isn't the end, they look at you and they get scared because they're like, uh-oh, something's different about these people. This is proof of our destruction. They got something in the end that we don't have. But he talks about internal conflict. He talks about external conflict. Now get this. While he's writing this letter, you know where Paul's at? He's in prison. He's writing this from a prison cell. It's actually a house prison cell where he is chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And you know how long he's been in the prison when he writes this letter? Roughly, a lot of scholars will say he's already been there two years. Now, if I'd been in prison two years for preaching the gospel, it might be my you know, tendency to say, Lord, what in the world's going on here? I'm doing what you called me to do, and I figured if you're the God of the universe, like you could probably figure out a way to get me out of this prison, but yet he's telling you to rejoice while he is in prison. While he's in a situation that is extremely unfortunate, he goes on to say uh, that we've got sick and lowly bodies which are in need of a transformation. How many would say that? Man, my body needs a transformation. Amen. And he, he talks about that. All of these are obstacles to joy. We battle sickness, we battle struggles in our body. He's getting tired from walking all over the place. And all of these are obstacles to joy, but yet he says, you know what, one thing that he says, and we read it just a minute ago, what? Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you remember when Jesus, all of it, he sent out 70 disciples and they go out and they're healing the sick and they're casting out demons and they return with great joy and he said to them, do not rejoice that the demons are subject to you in my name, but rejoice in what? That your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The same verbiage that Paul is using right there. And here's the thing, when demons get cast out, boys, I've seen demons get cast out of people and you know what it is? It's a time of rejoicing. I like it when people get free. I like it when people get healed. I like it when people are getting saved and baptized, and I rejoice in that. But one of the things that Jesus says is, don't learn so much to rejoice in your earthly circumstances, but learn more to solidify your rejoicing in something that's much deeper than that. Because some weeks, you'll see people get saved. Guess what? And some weeks, you won't. And some weeks you'll see people get delivered, and you know what? Some weeks you won't. And sometimes your ministry will be flourishing, and you know what? Sometimes it won't be. But you don't lock your rejoicing into that. You lock your rejoicing in something that is far deeper and rooted and grounded. Your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And sometimes I think what happens is we want everything so much so now. It's like, yeah, we get to go to heaven when we die, but what about what can I get now, God? What can I get now? What can you give me now? 
And what he's saying is, we put too much of our emphasis and our joy in our circumstances that are here on earth and not enough in what we have promised to the future. And faith pushes us into something because he even says, listen, Paul says, boys, I could die. They may kill me soon. He said, and I'd like to go because if I go, I get to be with the Lord. If I die, death is gain. I get to be with Jesus. He said, but you know what? I'm going to remain with you for your joy in the faith. In other words, I'm going to remain with you in order that you could find a joy in believing God. That there's a joy in looking at the circumstances of life, seeing all the obstacles, all the pain, all the struggle, all the opposition. There's a joy when you start to get a faith that looks at the promises of God and sees past all of the difficulty and says, I'm going to watch God come through for me again. I'm going to watch God do something that only God can do because He is completing that. He is perfecting that which concerns me just like as we heard earlier. Like God is moving in my life in such a way that every difficult becomes food, every difficulty becomes food for my soul and joy in the faith because I get to see God be God in my life. And so He's saying, I'm going to stick with you boys so that you can learn to grow in that. And He said, I may even be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. But he said, you know what? I'm going to be glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I have to die, I'm going to be glad. How many people say that? Even if i got to die, I'm going to be glad and rejoice with you all. That's what he says. So when Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians, I want you to consider another thing because he's currently in jail. And while he's writing this letter to the Philippians, talking about rejoicing while he's in jail, you know what he has? He's writing... And do you know who would have been listening to that letter as it was read the very first time? The Philippian jailer. I don't know if you remember that story in the book of Acts. But when Paul first went to Philippi, he went up to a woman that was fortune-telling, and she was filled with a demon. And the woman said, hey, these be the men of the Most High God who come to show you the way of salvation. What she said was true, but the source of it was demonic. He immediately discerned it cast the demon out of her, she lost her fortune-telling powers, they got madder than fire, threw him in an inner prison. And he's in the inner prison, which is down in the bottom, chained up, his feet fastened in socks, Paul and Silas in there. And at midnight, while the defecation of prisoners above them in the urine is coming down on them in the inner prison, you know what they chose to do in the middle of that? They chose to sing praise to God at midnight and rejoice in the Lord, not in their circumstances. And as they begin to rejoice in the Lord, it says that all of the prisoners heard them rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of a dungeon. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the jail itself began to shake and everybody's chains were loose. You know what the jailer does? He freaks out. He said, boys, I'm going to have to kill myself. Paul said, don't kill yourself, brother. He says, let me tell you about the Lord. That jailer gives his life to the Lord. His household is saved. He becomes a member of the Philippian church. And when Paul is writing this from jail, that Philippian jailer is reminded, you know what? There is a praise and there's a rejoicing in the Lord. I watched this man rejoice whenever he was in the middle of a prison in the bottom, and his rejoicing and his praise to God in the middle of that loosed everybody's chains and brought me to salvation. What am I saying? I'm saying that even if it's not a physical chain, there is spiritual chains that need to be broken, and some prisoners need to hear your rejoicing in the Lord. There's some people chained up and bound up that need to hear your praise to God on a regular basis. And when you carry that with you, chains are broken and prison doors are opened and people are set free. Amen. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting this morning. Rejoicing is the same word that means glad. It's the word that we get in joy from. 
And rejoicing then has a lot to do with enjoying God. And this is, this is kind of interesting. At, at the beginning of the year, I told Jeremy earlier, I said, this is something that the Lord started doing. Y'all, y'all ever have the Lord deal with you about personal stuff? The Lord this year has been dealing with me about my attitude. Anybody? <laughs> Not me. I got a good one. Amen. Uh, the Lord loves my attitude. Always positive. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Lord started dealing with me about my attitude, you know. And uh, I mean, because anybody can put something, something on on a Sunday morning, but, but you've got to carry something with you that, that works in the house at night. You know what I'm saying? You've got to carry something with you that works behind the scenes in the morning. You know what I mean? Like You've you got to carry something with you that bleeds over when you're just with a few people and, 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 and impacts the people around you. And the Lord started to deal with me about this personally, but Paul doesn't use, use the word happiness or happy, right? Because what we know is that happiness or to be, he doesn't say be happy in the Lord always. And again, I say be happy. Because happiness is based on happenings. It's based on what happens to you. If good things happen, I'm happy. If bad things happen, I'm sad. But he says, no, no, no. Rejoicing is something different. It doesn't, it's not blown around with every whim and wave of current events and good things and bad things that happen. There's a joy in the Lord that's unspeakable and full of glory in the midst of trial that is available to the believer that God wants to give us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, but, but you, have to, you have to come into agreement with it to make a choice to rejoice. Because every day you get the choice of what you're going to do. Even Sheryl Crow, I don't know if you remember the great 90s philosopher. <laughs> Sheryl Crow. Me and my dad used to listen to that driving down the road, one of her albums. And I remember this song that she said, she said, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? And of course she's cussed in it a little bit, but that's beside the point. But here's the point is that what she's saying is existentially she even knows that what makes you happy doesn't ultimately fulfill the deep inner longing desire of your soul. That you can get circumstantial happiness. You can be with the one that you think you love. You can fulfill all your sexual conquests and desires. You can pursue the pleasures of this life. You can get the job that you want. Maybe you get financially stable and you get the amount of money that you want. Maybe you build the dream home of your life. Maybe all these things come to pass, but still, if it makes you happy, then why are you still actually deep down so sad? She understood that because human beings understand that. And what we have to find is something deeper in the Lord that the source of our satisfaction, the source of life that actually compels us into what God has called us to do here on the earth has almost nothing to do with what is circumstantially happening around us and has everything to do with what God is currently doing within us. And so God is bringing us into that place. He says, no, there's a place where you can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, you rejoice. And he says, but how do we do that? I mean, how do I actually rejoice in the Lord always? And Paul is, is trying to teach that in order to rejoice in the Lord always, sometimes you have to be willing to let go of some things. You've got to be willing to let go of your own agenda in order to adopt God's agenda and come into agreement with this. Because Paul, he's currently sitting in prison. And he's currently sitting in there for doing God's work. And since this man, I mean, matter of fact, when Jesus called him, I want you to imagine coming into a church service. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God's drawing you. But then the Lord speaks to you like he did to Paul because this is what happened to Paul. and said, hey, join me and I'll show you how much you must suffer for my namesake. 
Okay, great invitation. No thanks, Lord. You know, I, I don't know if I want to enter into suffering for your name's sake. I've not even, I just met you. Okay? I just met you. But he invites Paul into this. But here's the thing. Even though Paul is suffering externally, he's learning about internal riches that nobody else understands. He's learning about something that supersedes all of the external sufferings. And while, while Jesus tells him, you're going to have to suffer many things for my name's sake, I imagine that in that meeting, Paul experienced something internal that he said, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go through the suffering because of the joy that's set before me. I sense something in you, Christ, that's much deeper than external sufferings and, and the happenings and the circumstances in my life that can get me down and all of these things. And so I believe that he's teaching that to us. But rejoicing does not mean the absence of pain. Because if you say rejoice in the Lord always, one of the things that you have to balance that with is just like we, we taught a couple of weeks ago about grieving properly. You've got to grieve the seasons of your life. Rejoice in the Lord always does not mean, hey, numb your pain and act like everything's okay. That's not what that means. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, hey, go through hard times and act like it didn't even happen and just say hallelujah. Yeah. Hey, that's not what he's saying. Because let me, let me show you this. The, 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 the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament, if I asked y'all the shortest verse in the Bible, 90% of you would say Jesus wept. And you'd be right in the English translation. In the Greek New Testament, here's, here's the shortest verse in the Bible, if you put it up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. It's a powerful verse. I, I, I bet you can even memorize that one. <laughs> Amen. Hey, I got some scripture memorized. Oh, yeah, what you got? Rejoice always. Hallelujah. I'm going to give you another one you can memorize today. You walk out of here and memorize. Here's the other shortest verse in the Bible in the English translation. Jesus wept. And those two are actually polar opposites, aren't they? Rejoice always, God himself wept. And what you see is Jesus, at one moment, can weep with his brothers and sisters over a lost loved one, and he can grieve and feel that pain and experience that emotion, and very soon thereafter still choose to rejoice in the Lord and give thanks to God. Because of who he is and what he's done. And then, and then even in that point when he, when he weeps with, with Martha and, and with Mary about the death of Lazarus. Even in that moment he prays and gives thanks to God. And he says, but I'm, I'm here and I'm grieving and I understand this pain and I feel this pain. But I'm still wanting to reveal to you something deeper that goes beyond this pain. Because I am the resurrection and the life. And so we do, we grieve when we lose. But we rejoice because he's the resurrection and the life. You understand there's always something in Christ that gives us a reason to hold on to rejoicing. And so the Bible never tells us to dismiss our feelings or suppress our feelings. The Psalms actually, if you read them, do exactly both of those things. They're pouring out their soul saying, God, things are awful. What are you doing? What's going on? How long, O oh Lord? And then in the same moment, they enter into the presence of God and they say, God, now I see. You are holy and you are lifted up and you are above all. And you will shut the mouths of my enemies. And you'll bring a straight path before me. And so in the same um, uh, mix of emotions, there's both grieving and weeping and crying out and rejoicing because of who God is. And there ain't anything wrong with that. Somebody said, well, that sounds like you're crazy, Clay. That's the way we got to deal with this life. Amen. And so every day I get to choose, and this is what the Lord dealt with me about at the beginning of this year, and I'm still working on it. Every day I get to choose whether I'm going to be a spiritual Eeyore or a spiritual tigger. Amen. I mean, every day I get to choose. And I mean, when I look at certain things in my life, it's like, you know what? I feel, it feels like an Eeyore day. 
I, I don't feel like being positive. I'm seeing some things that just ain't quite lining up. And, uh, and here's the thing. You get a choice every day whether or not you're going to rejoice. You can, you, can, you can set up under all kinds of the circumstances of life, and odds are everybody's got plenty of circumstances to let lay on them. But some people, I think, need to hear this. I feel like the Lord said this to me a couple of times in my life. But some, some of you need to hear this. It's time to stop feeling so sorry for yourself. It's time for you to cease being the victim. It's time for you to stop blaming others. Amen. That's going to help you because the demonic powers would love nothing more than for you to constantly cast blame, constantly be the victim, and constantly be up under that weight of just, oh, poor pitiful me. I feel so bad for myself. And here's the thing. I know that many of you, we've went through some terrible things, and all of those things are legit. All of those things should be grieved over. All of those things should be processed. Like, we go through hard times, and we need to vent, and we need people to encourage us, and we need to have the ability to do that. But at some point, you've got to get a hold of the Lord and say, you know what, God, even though I'm going through these things, you're still good, you're still on the throne, and I'm not going to become the victim, and I'm not going to live in defeat, and I'm going to have the victory in Christ Jesus one way or the other other and you come into that and you begin to create what I believe is what the Lord spoke to me about is a culture of gladness and Jesus is our example for a culture of gladness in in Hebrews 1 9 it says this about Jesus you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions how many of you would like to be anointed with the oil of gladness See, Jesus lived his life in a state of gladness. Now, don't get me wrong. There were moments when he sweat great drops of blood and was grieving and doing all kinds of different things because he's a human being too. But his natural disposition was faith in a God who would bring joy ultimately in all things. And therefore, he lived from a natural disposition of gladness. I don't want to live. Look, I I decided at the beginning of this year, as hard as it is, and sometimes I revert back to Eeyoreism, y'all. I don't know about you. Every now and then I revert back, and I'm like, oh, things are bad. And I sit down and point out, you know, every now and then I have a meeting with Jeremy and give him a list of all the bad things that are going on. But you know what? Sometimes I just, we got to discard that, and we got to look at what God is doing in the Spirit. You have to make a choice to see these things, and sometimes you've got to choose gladness, and you need to create a culture of gladness because I believe that great leaders, including parents, Y'all hear me this morning? Lord, deal with you about this one too, right? I mean, sometimes you got a kid. I don't know if you're like me in parenting, but every now and then I go through seasons of parenting where it's just like every two minutes I'm, <laughs> you know, sp- spilt this, broke that, threw that, everything, screaming, like, and you're just like, Psh. and I'm like, but no, no, no. In our homes and in the church, what we should have ultimately is a culture of gladness. And I think gl- great leaders learn to create a culture of gladness in that sense and that's what I'm working on and gladness includes laughter because you know what sometimes in order to laugh you got to let go of some things sometimes it's hard for us to laugh because we're holding on to too much well I got to make this happen we got to fix that we got to make that work we got and you get so uptight you can't let go of it you forget to laugh I remember one time Donald ain't here this morning so I can tell it one time we was going through something together a little bit and I got real tore up over it and I kind of sat down with him, and I vented about what was going on, and, and, uh, and he listened. 
And then, and then I went to the other room, and he was down too. But then he sent me, he sent me a text message, and I, and, I, and I looked at it, and I opened it up, and it was a YouTube video. And uh, it, was a, it was a music video, Taylor, Taylor Swift, Shake It Off. <laughs> and, you know, I opened it up, and I watched it. And believe it or not, the Lord used Taylor in a powerful way. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm going to shake it off. Like, I, I'm going to let it go. Uh, because sometimes, sometimes you've got to find a way, even if it's T-Swift, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, like to figure out a way to laugh and shake off some of the things that you are carrying because God desires for you to produce joy and step into joy, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And sometimes you have to renew your mind to that and remind yourself of gladness and laughter. Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen. You know, that's a commandment, and it doesn't say if everything's going good, if everything at church is working out well, if people didn't aggravate you too bad this week. It didn't say none of that. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And then the second thing it says is, serve the Lord with gladness. And the third thing it says is come into His presence with singing. This is a command that it's not about when things are working out well, but it's because of who God is. He says, serve the Lord with gladness. So let me give you a few practical points on what happens when we pursue the Lord and pursue serving the Lord with gladness. Let me go through this real quickly. Number one, you've got to realize there's no convenient time to be radically joyful. If it, I remember thinking one time, you know what, well, I'll be joyful when this works out. I'll be joyful when they get this done. I'll be joyful when that happens. I'll be joyful if we could just make this happen. If I just had this, then I could be happy. Can I tell you this? It'll never be that way. There is no convenient time to choose to be joyful. It'll never be convenient. All things will never be lined out. All things in this, your, your circumstances will never be flawless for you to be happy, for you to be joyful in the Lord. So you got to realize. That you know what? No matter what kind of circumstances I'm in, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because He's at work. Number two, you've got to understand that faithfulness is not just showing up, but how we think when we show up. Somebody, I'm, you know, I've been a part of a lot of, a lot of churches, and, and sometimes people say, well, that brother there, Brother Tom, he's as faithful as the day is long. But you know what? When Brother Tom showed up to church, he was like, yes. Just because just you show up every week... That's one aspect of faithfulness. The other aspect of faithfulness is how you show up every week. Do you show up with gladness and rejoicing? Or do you show up out of religious ob obligation and you be a church curmudgeon, aggravated, gossiping, talking bad about other people, and just say, well, I just think you ought to do it this way. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody amen me this morning? Oh, gosh. I shouldn't have even said that. Number three, recognize regular gladness is one of the signs we have passed the test at the level we are in. I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, Clay, you've not yet passed the test because you can't go into regular gladness. If you can let little things like this and little things like that shake your joy in me and just all, that, all that's got to happen is that one person say one thing and all of a sudden your joy is taken from you, how are you going to go to the next level with that kind of attitude? If you let the smallest, most minuscule things in your life steal your joy, which you are supposed to be producing in the Spirit in order to let people know that you're a Christian, if you're going to live like that, Clay, then how are you going to move to the next level? 
Number four, be compelled to overcome the real enemies of the kingdom. You know that some of the real enemies of the kingdom are victim mindsets, pessimism, fear, unworthiness, insignificance. All these things are real enemies of the kingdom and they're enemies of your life and they are lodged in your brain. But if you would say, no, 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 I'm shaking that off. I'm putting on the gladness of the Lord. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to learn to praise God and I'm going to carry a different attitude. And if somebody says something bad to me, if somebody's going to do this, you know what? I'm going to shake it off like Taylor Swift said, praise God. Amen. Somebody be like, we're not coming back to this church. He quoted Taylor Swift. Well, you know what? We're going to rejoice. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Number five, be led to create an environment that people will want to be a part of and will thrive in. There's something about a culture. See, that, 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 that's the thing. We're moving in the direction of a culture always. When we make decisions in the church, it's because we're, we're looking to create an environment in which God loves to dwell and people experience love. Amen. And when we start to move, there, there, y'all ever been in a church where it's like, I don't even know if I want to be here right now. Like, this is, this, you know, I don't, these people don't seem like they're very, this person might not like me. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to create a culture where people can thrive in. Now, so, so what are some practical enemies of this and of rejoicing in God? Let me give you another just few little, little quick things. Number one, a joy stealer, and, and I had a list of about 20, but I had to try to compile it down to about five because y'all know what your joy stealers are. But number one, comparison or lack of contentment is a joy stealer. And one of the things that I put on here was technology. Uh, because for, for a lot of people, I know y'all, you love social media and Facebook and, and Instagram and all that. But if you are honest with yourself, probably a good percentage of the social media that you get on push you into these things of comparison and lack of contentment. I'm comparing myself to this person. They've got more than me. I don't have this. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And all of a sudden, you find yourself being radically discontent. And then you find that I don't have joy. I even notice, you know, there's been times that I've noticed, I'm just being honest, this is confessions of a pastor this morning, I'll look at other churches and compare myself to them, and all of a sudden I notice I, I don't have any joy anymore. And the Lord's like, son, you rejoice in what they're doing for the Lord, and you rejoice in what I'm doing among you. This is the kingdom of God. You, you're not in competition. You're not to compare yourself with other people. That is unwise. Y'all are both to do what I've called you to do in the place I've called you to do it. You can't compare yourself to other people. You'll move into lack of contentment and all of a sudden you'll be aggravated. In the same context of what we just read, though, in Philippians 4, guess what? Here's what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He said, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He said, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. Watch this. In any and every circumstance, whether I've got a lot or whether I've got a little, I've learned the secret. Now, the secret is in broader context. He's learned to rejoice in the Lord always. But he said, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says the quote that Steph Curry's got on his tennis shoes so he can play basketball better. But it really comes down to the fact that we learn to be content in all circumstances of life. Then he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can live in whatever circumstance I'm in because my joy and my rejoicing is not in whether i got a lot of money in the bank or I'm flat broke. My rejoicing is in the Lord who will supply all of my need according to His riches and glory no matter what it looks like currently on the outside. I mean, what a beautiful book that this man has written because he's beginning to understand what he says is the secrets of life. 
The second joy stealer that we have is thinking too highly of yourself. Sometimes, y'all ever thought too highly of yourself? I've had to learn, you know. Sometimes as a pastor, you can begin to think highly. <laughs> Other people think highly of you. Other people think you're awesome. You go home at the end of the day thinking, golly, if they only knew. If they only knew what my wife knew. <laughs> but you, sometimes you've got to laugh about yourself a little bit. You know what? You're going to mess up. Y'all realize that? I don't have to get everything perfect. For a minute, when we went back to one service for every minute, I'm like, oh, man, everybody's going to think I'm dumb. and uh, this. I mean, like, they, they're going to think I don't have anything figured out. And you know what I said? I don't. <laughs> like, it's okay. I don't have it all figured out. And you know what? That's perfectly fine because God's not called me to have it all figured out. He's called me to trust Him and follow Him and say, ultimately, God's got this figured out. We're not following clay. We're following Jesus Christ. And we can mess up and we can miss it sometimes, but the Lord pulls us back into place. And we don't have to think too highly of ourselves. And here's the thing. Sometimes what happens if I do think too highly of myself, if anybody challenges me or confronts me, I start to think, well, who do they think they are? Do they not know who I am? Do they not know the sacrifices I've made? Anybody ever done that? And you know what? When people confront you, it's okay. Every now and then they got a different view. It's perfectly fine. And you can respond in love and gentleness and kindness, but you don't need to think too highly of yourself. One of my favorite lyrics, and I know I'm using, I don't know if I need to breathe secular or not. Amen. Can I quote two secular songs in a sermon? Is that all right? Uh, we're going to call the elders here later. <laughs> um, need to breathe. They may even be half Christian. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'm digging myself a pit here this morning. There's a song, though, and they got this lyric, and in the lyric it says, it says specifically, he says, I just need room to be wrong sometimes. That's all I'm looking for. Have y'all ever felt that? Like the pressure of life. And you're just like, you know what, man? I just need room to be wrong sometimes. I need to have space to miss it. And that right there, that in itself just sort of, Lifts this burden up. I don't have to do everything flawlessly. It's okay if I fail. Because I'll fail forward in God. He'll teach me through it. And He'll show me the way. Number three, drama. I know y'all don't have no drama in your life. But there's people out there that do. And you, and you, get, in, you, know, you get in certain settings... And there's these gossip circles, and there's critical people, and there's condescending people, and they, and they just get you into this drama. And, and you realize that at the end of the day, you are stressed out, you are worn out, because it's been nothing but negativity and tearing down all day long. And sometimes you just need to do one of two things. Remove yourself from that drama, or inject praise and the Word of God into that drama. Because sometimes in the middle of gossip and drama, and when people come around and they're trying to, you know, there's even some people in my life, sort of, like they don't ever come around, don't ever want anything, don't ever want to talk to me. And when they come in, I know, because they come in and they say, what are you doing? <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like, well, what about so-and-so? And I want to say, you think that I'm about to share somebody's personal life with you just because somehow you get some kind of sick enjoyment out of it. I'm rebuking somebody right now. <laughs> Drama. Amen. It's a joy stealer. Number four, toxic relationships. you got a choice of whether or not you're going to engage in toxic relationships. And sometimes you got to put them out of your life. And I know some of you young people, y'all do that missionary dating. 
Baby, I know y'all do it. It's like, I'm going to get this boy saved. He ain't nothing near being a Christian. And I'm promising you, it's not just going to be a joy stealer. When you marry that dude, it's going to be a joy stealer long term. And you've got to make a decision whether or not this is going to be a relationship that is going to be lasting and healthy. And you need to make sure that you're not allowing. You, you, you can either allow or disavow toxic relationships in your life. And here's, let me, let me say this even, and, and it's nobody in this room, but I, as a pastor what I've learned is that sometimes you allow people into your life and they're not there to get better. They don't want to change. They are there to drain. And you have to discern. Jesus even said, do not cast your pearls before swine. And that sounds harsh because we're supposed to love everybody. But there are certain people that will come into your life that are so toxic that they will drain you and actually keep you from investing in people that need to be invested in. Because you can't fill everybody up. You're just one person. And you've got to discern which relationships need cut out. Number five, critical people. Amen. I remember when I pastored a church in Barberville, and for most of the people that were in Barberville, honestly, there were people that, that were at the church in Barberville that were some of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life. And so, but sometimes what we find is we don't actually focus on the good, we focus on the negative. Anybody ever do that? I do that a lot. And, and so I had some of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life, but there were a handful of people that were extremely critical. I even had one dude uh, that wanted to sit down. He listened to every one of my sermons, and he wanted to sit down after them to pick it apart. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And one time he sat down with me, and I prayed over our meal because I went out and we had dinner together. He wanted to have dinner, and, he, and we, I prayed over our meal, and then he told me that he didn't think my prayers were genuine. And then, and then we left, and I, after I paid for his meal, he gets out of the vehicle, and he says, I'm glad I could give you your spiritual badge today, but thanks for paying for my meal, and shut the door. I was like, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Critical people. And, 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 and it just ate at me. For a few days, and I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to love this guy, but I ain't going to eat with him no more. <laughs> I mean, this is good practical preaching this morning, right? Amen? I still love that guy, but I ain't eating with him no more. So stop letting part-time thinkers tell you how to run your full-time life. I would let that man say one statement to me, and it would eat me up for a week, two weeks. Still be torn up over it. And I'm thinking, you know what? Am I going to let what one guy said for 15 seconds ruin the rest of my day? No, you've got to learn. Rejoice in the Lord. Let that stuff fall off of your back and move on. This is what the Lord's teaching me. So here, let me finish with this last verse right here, okay? Philippians 4, 5, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. But Philippians 4, 5, so he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then he moves into this little secret here that's a beautiful truth. He says, Let your reasonableness... And that word there can be translated gentleness or graciousness depending upon the translation that you have. But he said, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And so here's one of the things that he's saying. When he says the Lord is at hand, what he's not saying is the Lord is out in the yard somewhere. Or the, what he's saying is, is that the Lord is, rad, he is, he is within reach. He is nearer to you than you could ever imagine. And I remember when I was reading this and considering this, when Jesus would say the kingdom is at hand, he's saying it's right here. And I remember thinking about this when I was a little boy. I don't know how you were, but I was a little bit of a, a mama's boy. And when I was like in kindergarten, as long as my mom was near, I was at peace. And I remember being in kindergarten just wanting her to stand by the window just because so, if, if I could see her, if she was within my sight, I had peace. And when I was a little boy, I remember laying in the fetal position, taking a nap by her feet while she was cooking because I had peace as long as she was near. 
And what the Lord is saying, I know, I'll, I'll. <laughs> what, the, it's, what the Lord is saying is in that same sense, in the circumstances that you're going through, you can have gentleness and reasonableness and that kind of peace because the Lord is always at hand. He's right there. He is your Father who loves you more than you could ever imagine. And He's not distant and He's not careless. He is at hand. It's not a matter of, is Jesus near to you? It's a matter of if you are aware that Jesus is near to you. Are you aware? Are you cultivating His presence and learning to enjoy Him and understanding that He's so near to you? In spite of what you've done, in spite of how you failed, that doesn't change His love for you. It doesn't change His presence in your life. It's a matter of, do you realize you have access through His blood to His presence at all times? He's so near to you. And so in His presence, there's fullness of joy. But here's the thing. When He says, let your reasonableness be made to all, He says, it's a way of life and rearranging your thinking to treat people a certain way. Gentleness, graciousness, reasonableness. And in the context of those words, when they're used in the New Testament, basically what He'll say in, that, in the use of that same word, of gentleness or reasonableness. He says you're not violent, you're not quarrelsome, you're not argumentative, you don't speak evil of people, you show courtesy, you're open to reason, and, and you're gentle and you're meek and you're humble like Christ is. Because here's what can happen. When things go bad and everything hits the fan, as they say, what happens? We usually do not respond with reasonableness and we usually don't respond with gentleness. What he's saying is, in this context, when you are burdened and you're weighed down, he says, let your requests be made known to God, who will give you a peace that passes all understanding, and then what you do then is let your gentleness be made known to all people. You understand the difference there? So what he's saying is live life in such a way, because let me tell you something, folks, things are going to get crazy. I don't know if you're looking at our political climate right now in the nation, but it's insane. I mean, it is insane. And people hate one another, and people fight, and people argue, and people bicker. And even within the church, we, it's like Satan tries to bring up so many things that make us divide over the smallest things. And what he's saying is, no, no, no. You need to rejoice in the Lord always, and you need to let your gentleness and your reasonableness be known to all people, no matter how different they believe than you, no matter how different they live than you. You need to be known by love, and you need to be reasonable and gentle because the world is going crazy, and you need to be a non-anxious, peaceful presence in this world. Let your reasonableness be made known to all people. Let your prayer requests be made known to God, but let your reasonableness and your gentleness be made known to all people. Now, God doesn't want us to rejoice when bad things happen, does He? I don't think He does. I don't think He wants us to rejoice when bad things happen, but I think when those bad things happen, in the middle of it, we know that God is still on the throne, that God is still at work, that God's not done yet, and in Him, in the Spirit, we can have something internally that supersedes everything that we're going through so we can rejoice in Him. I'm going to close with this. Psalm 34, I'm done, I promise. Actually, First Samuel 22. There was a point in David's life, if you, if you look at the intro to Psalm 34, you know, David was an interesting guy because he was a worshiper of God, and he went through some stuff. And one particular time, his child died, and he was grieving and mourning and fasting, and then when his child died, they were afraid to tell him because they thought it would crush him. And he stood up the day that his child died, and he cleaned himself, and he washed himself, and he worshiped the Lord was his first response. And they said, man, what are you doing? Why are you worshiping the Lord? We, we thought, 
you know, once you actually heard that he passed away, you were grieving, hoping that he wouldn't die. And when he did, we thought it was over. And he said, you know what, here's what I know. He won't come back to me, but one day I will go to him. And he said, I can worship God. I can rejoice in God because of what he's doing. And he had an eternal perspective in that. But see, David had learned this over many years. In Psalm 34, it's a, it's a psalm of David, and it, and it intros by saying a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech. David had been anointed king, but yet King Saul had driven him out, was trying to kill him, was throwing spears at him. All of Israel had rejected him at that point. He's being hunted like a wild man. He's got no place to go. He's living in caves. And in Psalm 34, this is what he did. He went to Abimelech, who was actually, get this, the king of Goliath, whose head he had just cut off about a year earlier. I mean, that seems like a bad idea to me. I don't know. I just cut your champion's head off. Here I am. I need help. He gets to the gate of Abimelech and realizes this is a bad idea. So he starts foaming out the mouth, scribbling at the door, acting like he's insane. And Abimelech said, get that dude out of here. And so they shoo him away, and he runs to a cave. And he's in a cave called Adjalam, which literally means refuge or fortress. And in this moment, he becomes a type of Christ. Because this is, what, this is what's so beautiful about it. In 1 Samuel, here's what it says. If you put that verse up for me. It said, David departed from there, from those gates, and he escaped to the cave of Adjalam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And notice this. Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontented gathered to him. Because let me tell you something. If you came in here this morning in distress, you came in here this morning in debt, you came in here discontented. You know who you need to gather around. You need to go to the cave of Adjalam, the refuge of the house of God, into the presence of Jesus Christ and sit at His feet because He is the picture of Christ. And so all of them, they gathered around and He became the commander over them, the Christ type. And there were with them about 400 men. Now I want you to notice 400 men that are in debt, they're distressed, they're discontented, they're bitter in their soul. Life is not working out. It's not working out for David. He doesn't know if he'll ever become king the current king wants him dead and they gather around his feet and he's sitting there and you know what he could have said boys it's bad out world's gone to pot have you seen the news they're coming for us we'll probably all be dead by next week he could have said any of those things couldn't he he could have chosen to be a spiritual eeyore or he could have been chosen to be a spiritual giant and in Psalm 34, it actually writes exactly what he said to those men when they gathered around him. And it says, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's one of the most powerful verses ever because of the context of it. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. When I'm running away like a hunted man having to hide in caves and got no hope for the future. I'm still going to praise the Lord. I'm still going to bless God because He is good and I know Him. And He goes on to say, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble or the broken hear of it and be glad. And then He invites them into it. He says, Boys, I know you're in debt. I know you're distressed. I know you're discontented. But would you magnify the Lord with me in this place so that we could begin to see that God is bigger than every circumstance that we're currently facing. 
He says, magnify the Lord together with me and let us exalt His name together. And then he said in verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man over here cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear Him and delivers Him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. He's saying, boys, I know you've tasted a lot of things, and I know you're discontented because none of those things out there will satisfy. I know we're in a cave right now, and I know things look bad, but if you would just taste and see that the Lord is good, you'll find contentment in Him, and you'll learn that you can rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of what you're going through, because God is not done yet, and God was not done yet in their life. He said, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And he goes on to preach to these men. And do you know that those men, many of them that were with him, do you know what they ended up becoming? They're listed later on in Scripture. You know what they became? They all became what was considered mighty men. The way that David slayed Goliath, they slayed giants. They slayed lions. They became mighty men because they learned that in the midst of bad circumstances, we can still rejoice in the Lord and God will bring us through and He will make these things right. Jesus Christ is our example. He was anointed with the oil of gladness. And even when He was going to the cross for your soul and for my soul and for the sins of all the world, when He was going to the cross, He said that He went to the cross because of the joy that was set before Him. There's a joy that's set before you that God has. And you're able to endure a whole lot when you see that joy. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. You're here this morning. You may be going through a lot. You may be dealing with a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. But I believe that Jesus is inviting people to come to Him, to give Him all of their burdens, to learn to enjoy Him, but most of all, above all, to receive the salvation that He wants you to have. And so if you're here this morning and, and you, you don't know Jesus, why don't you just take a step of faith this morning? Why don't you respond in your heart to what the Spirit is already drawing you to do? And that's to give, give it all to Jesus and acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. And just as an act of faith, if that's you this morning, you say, that's me, I want to I give everything to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand between me and you and God and say, that's me. See a hand here. Anybody else? Anybody else? See another hand right here. So here's the thing. It's the Lord Himself that saves you. But He just wants you to call upon His name. So right where you're at, I want us to just begin to call upon His name. Lord, I pray for these that have lifted their hands. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that You do a work in their hearts. And Lord Jesus, we confess our sins to You this morning. God, we're broken people in need of a Savior, and so we ask that you would come in power, you would cleanse us in your blood from all unrighteousness. Lord, you would save our souls.
Lord, for the ones that lifted their hands, God, would you do a deep work in their heart this morning and let them know in this moment, God, just how much that you love them, just how much that you care for them. Would you bring freedom into their life in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we speak peace to the rest of every person in here, God, because every burden that Christian people brought in here this morning, Jesus, you don't want them to leave with that burden. So I pray, God, that your spirit would begin to break those burdens off of people's lives. And Lord, as they let their requests be made known to you, God, you would give them a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard their hearts and guard their minds in Christ Jesus. We rejoice in you, Lord. We choose to rejoice in you, Lord, regardless of what we're going through, God, because we know that you're always good. And Lord God, your purposes are being worked out. So we thank you, Lord, and we ask it all in Jesus' name this morning. And amen, amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're about to move into a baptism, so those that are going to get baptized, you can get ready and start making your way forward, but they're going to sing here just for a moment. Let's respond. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you up front here. Uh, you can come to this altar and pray if you'd like, or pray at your seat, but just take a moment to respond to the Lord and call upon His name here this morning. <laughs>